Whenever you're dealing with any kind of leadership change, it's important for you to ask at least two questions in order for the leadership change to go well. Here are the two questions uh, that you should work through. First, what are you asking for? And second, what will it ask of you? What are you asking for and what will it ask of you? These two questions make all of the difference. I grew up in northern Alabama, and in northern Alabama there were a lot of tech startups, especially around the time that, uh, that I was a teenager, and so I saw a lot of these tech startups happening, and the dream of most of these startups was, was fairly similar. You wanted to make an innovative product, and eventually you wanted to get acquired by a much bigger company. You wanted to sell the company for a good bit of money, so put in the time, build the company, and then sell the company for a, a grand profit. Now, it sounds great, but these deals can sour over time. Uh, they can actually sour pretty quickly, depending on if you've worked through those important questions well or not. Uh, sometimes the new leadership didn't really respect your product. And so what would happen is they wouldn't use your product. They would buy the company, but then would let the product languish because they basically didn't want any other competitor to have your product. They, all, they didn't respect the product that you had spent so much time for. Sometimes the new leadership didn't respect the employees that were at the company, and so there were a, ma a mass layoff as soon as the new leadership took over. Or sometimes the new leadership didn't respect the previous work culture, and so there were increased expectations of the employees, uh, increased uh, work hours, and things like that. Whatever the reason was for any of these changes, new leadership came in, and a lot of people ended up resenting it. There are too many stories like this to count, whether it's business or politics or even just going to the bank and getting a loan or a new sort of refinancing. It's often hard for us to submit to new leadership. If you know what you're asking for, if you have that clearly in mind, and you know what the new leadership will ask of you, then the leadership change can be great. But if you don't know these things, there's likely to be fallout of some kind or another, whether it be clashing cultures or different styles of manage management, different priorities, all of these things can end up in hurt and pain. Now in the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for a leadership change. Whenever we pray your kingdom come, we're asking God to come and to take over down here on earth, and that has implications for our lives. We are asking for a new leader, and that new leader will ask things of us. And so for us to embrace this new leadership, we need to know, what are we asking for when we ask for the kingdom, and what will the kingdom ask of us? Answering those questions will help us submit gladly to God's leadership. So let, let us now turn our attention to God's word. Please join me in reading together the holy word of God as our Lord Jesus himself teaches us to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Thus far, in the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray now for your kingdom to come. And we pray that you, through your spirit, would illumine your word to us so that we would know what that means. Cultivate in our heart a deep 
and profound longing for your kingdom. Even as we hear your word preached, would you be at work in our lives? Bring your kingdom now to us. Your word is central in your kingdom. It is, uh, it, it is the, uh, the force that brings about your kingdom. And so I pray now that we would be conformed to your word, that as you call out to us, we would hear your voice. Teach us to long for your kingdom now. And help us to know how to prepare for your kingdom. Lord, do all of this now. Let us see your kingdom coming, even in our midst today. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. So leadership change lesson one. Know what you're asking for when you're asking for change. What exactly are we asking for when we pray your kingdom come? We are asking for God to bring his kingdom to this world beginning with us. That's what we're asking for when we pray your kingdom come. We're asking God to bring his kingdom to this world beginning with us. And now that's a little bit of a mouthful, and so let's break it down. Let's start with God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom? There are four aspects to God's kingdom that I want us to pay attention to this morning. God's kingdom is God's presence, God's power, God's people, and God's place. God's presence, power, people, and place. First, the kingdom is God's presence. He is the king. And so wherever he is, that's where the kingdom is also. Second, the kingdom is God's power. Psalm 145, verses 11 through 13 read, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So God, as we hear in the scriptures, is more than a figurehead. He's not just king in name only. No, he is actively legislating, actively governing, actively judging. God is active in his rule and authority, and so the kingdom is God's power in action, his authoritative rule and reign, his dominion, the kingdom, is God's power. And third, the kingdom is God's people, God's people. Revelation 1.6, Christ has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. A king rules over a people. And as we've seen from history, it's very important that the people be loyal to the king. God's kingdom demands loyalty. Not only is he a king, but he's our king. God's kingdom involves his people submitting to his power, to his rule. And fourth, the kingdom is God's place. A king needs a realm, right? But unlike the other earthly realms, earthly kingdoms that we see in our world, God's place has no borders. Psalm 103:19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So God's place is the entire world. But at the same time, God's place is especially where his people come together to worship. In the Old Testament, God's special place was the temple in Israel. And now, according to Paul, God's special place is in the church. 
It's with Christians, Christians who are themselves a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are his place where we enjoy his presence. And so that brings everything back around full circle. God's kingdom is his presence and his power governing over his people in his place. And if we think about that for just a minute, that actually sounds like the church, doesn't it? That sounds like us. We are his people. We are his place. We enjoy his presence even now as we worship in his, in his presence. And we bow to his power. We submit to his authority. So the kingdom is the church. But God's plan from the very beginning was that his kingdom would be everywhere. That it would be everywhere, in all places, at all times. In a perfect world, the sovereign God reigns over the entire cosmos with his gracious law of love and peace and purity. Every bit of creation would enjoy his presence and every single person, every individual would be a part of his people. Every person being one of his loyal subjects. And that would be a blissful picture, wouldn't it? To think about God's kingdom being everywhere, God reigning over the entire world and everyone, everywhere, bowing to him and enjoying his presence. But unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world. Humanity has rejected God's authority, and ever since the garden, we have tried to overthrow the king of creation. It's just created chaos in God's land. Think of the things that you've seen from war-torn places Maybe you can think of a photo that you've seen of London following the bombings during World War II. You can see the outlines of former glory. You can see beautiful gardens, majestic buildings, and, and objects of culture, and, and books, and art, but it's all in ruin. It's ruins that you see. You see the outlines of glory, but you mostly see the chaos of ruins. So whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, that's the tension that we experience. We can see the glory of God's design, his plan for the kingdom to stretch from shore to shore. But look at all the damage of our rebellion. We live in glorious ruins, and we long for restoration. And so we pray your kingdom come. We want God to bring his kingdom to this world. We want the full experience of God's glory. We want to experience God's reign and rule, and we want that reign and rule to be the experience of the entire creation. See, we know that God is king. We've already prayed, hallowed be your name, but now we're asking God to crown himself. We're asking that God would be actively crowned over all of creation, that every person would submit to his power, that every place would bear the beauty of his presence. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're, act we're actually asking for the great eschatological event of the Bible. We're asking God to come down to earth to restore his kingdom everywhere. As we look through the scriptures, part of this judgment, or part of this restoration involves judgment. The king will come, and when he comes, he will put the rebellion down. When Christ returns, as we hear in Revelation, he will come to judge those who rejected his power, who refused to be a part of his people, who destroyed his holy place. But the Lord, when he comes, will do much more than simply judge. 
God will save. The day of restoration is a day of salvation. God will reestablish the peace and perfection of his kingdom everywhere. It's like a homeowner who has come home uh, to a house that's been destroyed by the renters. And when the homeowner comes home, the homeowner decides to make everything beautiful again. So there's going to be new paint. There's going to be new furniture. There's going to be repaired windows, redone floors. The dust and the dirt will all be washed away. And the house will once again look splendid. When Christ comes again, he will repair this broken world. He's going to put everything back together. Revelation 22, we hear that there's a river of life flowing from the throne of God. And that on the, on the shore of this river of life, John says, the le- is the tree of life. And John says that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads for God's people, for us. When God comes again, it's a day of great salvation. And we long for this day. It's appropriate for Christians to long for, to anticipate this great day of salvation. We want Jesus to come back. The entire heartbeat of the Bible is found in one of the last phrases of Holy Scripture, Come, Lord Jesus. And that's what Christ teaches us to pray in this request. Come, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. We're asking that God bring his kingdom to this world, beginning with us. This great eschatological event that we anticipate in the future isn't merely a future event. It is something that has already begun in the present. Think about how early spring feels. The date on the calendar says that it's officially spring. The signs of spring are everywhere. Flowers are starting to blossom. Birds are singing again. The air smells fresh in the morning when you go out. Everywhere you can feel the anticipation of spring. Winter's grasp is receding, but it's not totally gone. There's still frost in the morning. There's still a chill in the wind. It's starting to look like spring, but the fullness of spring hasn't come yet. It's like that with God's kingdom. The resurrection of Christ is like that first official day of spring. The kingdom has actually begun with Christ's resurrection. And there are signs of the kingdom everywhere we look, in the church's life and worship, in our deeds of love and mercy, like we'll sing later in our service. The icy grasp of sin is receding. The kingdom is beginning to blossom in our midst. But the fullness of the kingdom isn't here yet. And so even while we long for the fullness of his kingdom, for Jesus to come again and restore fully this broken world, we ask God to make his kingdom here now in and through us. All of this is wrapped up in the short, powerful prayer, your kingdom come. It's a bold prayer. We're asking the judge of the earth to come back and fix this place. But it's also a challenging prayer if we pray it properly. This prayer is calling us to submit to God's authority. We pray your kingdom come, not 
our kingdom and certainly not my kingdom. But so much of our modern life says pursue your kingdom. Be your own ruler. It's embedded in our identity as Americans. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy once said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. That's what our culture teaches us. That's not what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. The Lord's Prayer calls us to submit to God's rule and reign, to call his kingdom our kingdom, to we submit to his interpretation of the world, to his definition of right and wrong. We submit ourselves to the king. And also the Lord's Prayer calls us to submit to God's plan. We ask for God to bring his kingdom, your kingdom come, because we can't bring it ourselves. We need God to bring his kingdom. We need to submit to God's plan for how that comes about. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't come about through programs and politics. It doesn't come about through violence or first forced conversion or shame. God's kingdom only comes about through God's initiation, the work of God's Holy Spirit. So we need to submit to his kingship. We need to submit to his plan. We need to submit to his methods. We need to submit to his timing. That's a big ask, isn't it? We're asked in the Lord's Prayer to dethrone ourselves, each of us individually from being the center of the universe so that we can rethrone God as rightful king over everything. Not only does that cut against our pride, but it also triggers our suspicion. How can we trust that this king will be good? How can we trust that he will take care of us, that he won't abuse his authority like so many earthly rulers, like those North Alabama tech companies? How do we know that this will be a good leadership change? Judge for yourself. Hear what God says about his leadership in Isaiah 57, 15. It's a, a marvelous verse, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite heart and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Isn't that the kind of king that you want? Someone who's going to wield his power in ways that revive and redeem. Someone who is going to welcome the humble into his throne room. And indeed, who's going to leave his throne room to go inhabit the places of the humble. We get another glimpse of this king in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my authority upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, the kingdom is not of this world, and that means that our king doesn't rule like other earthly rulers. He doesn't abuse his authority. He's not a bully. He's kind. He's gentle. He is lowly in the spirit of Christ. He wants to restore us. It's one of the best things that we can pray for. Your kingdom come. Bring your kingdom to this world 
beginning with us. Of course, there's a second question that we need to ask in order for us to fully embrace this leadership change. What will the kingdom ask of us? Big mergers go south when the new leadership institutes things that were unexpected. Leadership changes always ask something of the people, and so it's the same with God's kingdom. We are asking God to come back. We're asking him to bring his holy realm to this world, beginning indeed with us. We're asking the homeowner to return, and when he does, he starts the repair work in our hearts first. So what does the kingdom ask of us? The kingdom asks that we prepare for it, that we prepare for it in our hearts, that we prepare for it in our lives. So there are three ways I think that we can prepare our hearts and lives for the kingdom, to prepare ourselves for what the kingdom is asking of us. And you can remember it in the acronym BIDS. Bids, B-I-D-S, bids, like the sentence, the Lord bids us to prepare for the kingdom. So how can we prepare for the kingdom? Bids, B-I-D-S, believe, imagine, and do something. Believe, imagine, and do something. First, you need to believe. To prepare for the kingdom properly, you must believe. You need to believe the gospel. You cannot pray, let your kingdom come, if you're not a Christian. At least you can't pray it and be happy about it if you're not a Christian. And so the first thing that some of you need to be asking yourselves is, am I a Christian? It's a very important question for you to ask. Maybe you've been to church for a long time, but you've never really made God a priority in your personal life. Maybe you come to church for social reasons. You think in your mind, good people go to church. I'm a good person, and so I'll go to church. Or maybe you have, are just exploring the faith for the first time. Please ask yourself, whatever any of those scenarios may be, please ask yourself, am I a Christian? And if not, let me invite you to trust in Jesus today. When I was reading Jesus' words earlier, when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your souls. When you heard that earlier, did you find yourself thinking, I want that? I, I want that. Do you think that he really meant it? Do you think that he really meant it for me? And the answer is, of course. Yes, Jesus meant it, and he meant it for you. Jesus wants you to believe in him, and so believe, trust in Christ. And if you are a Christian, then go one step further and ask yourself, do I believe that the kingdom really will come? It's been a long time since these things were written, and Christ still hasn't come back yet. Sometimes we can lose hope that God will indeed come again. We can lose our patience with God's plan and his timing. And so we can lose hope that we will walk in the new heavens and the new earth with our Lord. And so if you find your faith growing dull, reread the scriptures that talk about the kingdom coming. It is a certain promise. The way that the New Testament talks about it, it is a guarantee Christ will come again. So rekindle your faith through God's word that the kingdom will come again. And then one last question for you as you're pressing down into your heart. Do I believe that the kingdom is here in me? Do I believe that the kingdom is real for me now? 
Are you discouraged in your sin? Are you questioning if God loves you? Or have you given up the fight and, and, and relapsed into any destructive habits that you may have shaken off for a period of time out of discouragement, out of despair? Remember, remember that the kingdom is present. Remember that you, through Christ, are a part of his holy kingdom now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom is a sure thing. It is present now because the Lord has made it blossom even in our midst. God has welcomed you through Christ into his kingdom. So believe. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news of the kingdom, that it will come again, and it is here now. That is the first step for us to prepare our hearts. We need to believe. And after we believe, then second, we need to imagine. We need to cultivate a kingdom-shaped imagination. Have you ever watched one of those shows on HGTV, a home renovation show? It's amazing what those experts can do when they walk into a dingy room. They see not only the facts of the room, they see the, the current state of the room, but they can see its potential. They've been, they've, they've been uh, dedicated to cultivating an imagination that can envision beauty in a space. And so when they walk into any one of these rooms, they say, this place is a mess, but I know what we can do to fix it. They can imagine a better place. And we need to do that in our lives. We need to get to know the beauty of God's kingdom, becoming an expert in what the kingdom looks like so that you can imagine the kingdom kingdom potential of every place that you go into. And so read Genesis. Hear what it was like for God to walk with Adam and Eve. Read Isaiah, what will happen when God comes again. Read Revelation, the great promise of the new heavens and the new earth. Read the Gospels to see Jesus, the kingdom among us, talking about the flourishing that he will bring. Read the scriptures. Again, get to know what God's kingdom looks like so that you can walk into any room, any zone of your life whether it's your heart, whether it is your behaviors, whether it's the way that you interact with other people, whether it's your school or your workplace or your neighborhood, wherever you go, you can go into that zone or realm and say, this place needs some work, but I know what we could do to fix it up. Let's say that you're working through a toxic relationship with a coworker or a friend or maybe even someone in your own household. Conventional wisdom says that whenever you're in a toxic relationship with anyone, you just cut it off. But kingdom imagination can envision something else. A kingdom-infused imagination can envision the beauty of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. A kingdom imagination ponders in this relationship what true flourishing could look like. So stoke your creative imagination with images of the kingdom. Plunge your imagination into God's kingdom so that you can envision true beauty. And then third, after you've done that, do something. We believe, 
then we imagine, and then we need to do something. We can't stop at mere thinking, like those shows on HGTV. They don't just say that they're going to fix it up, then they go about the work of doing something, and we need to do something. It's the natural expression of our imagination. One of the best quotes that I read about the kingdom this past week was this, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. The task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. And lest we think that that is merely the social gospel, that was R.C. Sproul quoting John Calvin. The task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. We need to do something. God is calling us to work. And so if you're working through that toxic relationship, maybe you start with prayer. Set some boundaries for sure, but then commit yourself to praying or make an extra effort to bless that individual even if they are being mean to you or try to have an honest conversation with them. Approach them and say, I feel like things aren't really going well between us. Is there anything that we can do about it? Can we talk about what's going on? All of those ways are ways that your kingdom-stoked imagination can do something. The way that you can get to work through your belief and your imagination. And it can be simple. It can really be that simple to do that kingdom-inspired work. Small things are still kingdom things. And so if you struggle to read the scriptures, and yet you commit to reading the Bible for 10 minutes every day this next week, you're doing something for the kingdom, If you struggle to pray, and yet you commit to praying through the Lord's Prayer every day this week, you're doing something for the kingdom. If you work on a sin issue in your life, if there's an area of your life where you realize that you really need to work on this, you try to become more godly, even in one particular action, you are doing something for the kingdom. Of course, evangelism is something that we can do for the kingdom after we imagine a kingdom of life and health, and peace. We want to invite other people into it to enjoy that kingdom as well. And as a church, I think we're uniquely situated to do some things together. One of the things we can do together is ministering to the impoverished in Arlington and Fairfax. Last summer, as a church, we raised money for a local food bank ministry, and we raised five times what we expected and what we hoped for. This past Christmas, we did another food drive for another local ministry like it, and we filled up the food box beyond what we could have imagined. These were kingdom things that we were doing together. And so I can only say, let's keep it up. Let's keep up the good kingdom work that we are doing for the poor in our midst. COVID, as we've seen the the wreckage that this pandemic has caused in our region, it's shown us the vast wealth and opportunity gap even within Northern Virginia. There is lots of good kingdom work that we can do to minister to the poor in our midst together as a church. It's kingdom work that we can do together. We're well situated for it. Something else that we are well positioned for as a church, some things that we can do together are ministering to the incarcerated. 
Criminal justice reform needs kingdom imagination and kingdom-inspired work, and there are many small things that we are already doing as a church to help, from prevention all the way through community reentry. Our support of Young Life of South Arlington helps kids stay out of jail. Our support of Good News Jail and Prison Ministry helps to share the gospel with people who are in jail. And our support of Offender Aid and Restoration helps individuals re-enter the community after their time in jail. And so as a church, we are already doing this work. We're already engaged in these kingdom activities. And so good work, and let's keep it up. Good job to to you. The Lord is at work in your midst doing this kingdom work through you. And so let's keep it up. Let's maybe even, as we think about this coming year and years in the future, let's see what more we could do together as we do something for God's kingdom as a church. God bids us to prepare for the kingdom. And how can we prepare? Believe, imagine, and do something this week, please pray for the kingdom. Pray every day, your kingdom come. And as you pray, your kingdom come, as you steep your imagination in what that looks like, then prepare. Prepare for the kingdom in the ways that God will lead and direct you to. The Spirit will be at work in you, even as you pray for him to bring his kingdom here. And if you need inspiration at any point in time for any of those things, just look to Jesus. Jesus teaches us to pray for the kingdom, and he models what the kingdom looks like in action. If you've ever been to a symphony, there's this really interesting thing that happens. It's one of my favorite things about going to one of these, uh, one of these events. Uh, it happens right before the beginning of the concert. So the concert hall is dead quiet. The, uh, the orchestra is assembled. And before the concert begins, the first chair violinist plays a note. One single note rings out, and the rest of the orchestra gradually starts to play too. And at first, they just play that one note. But then each instrumentalist begins to play other notes too. And you hear the music swell as people, every one of these instrumentalists tunes their entire instrument to that original note. That one note guides everyone into the proper tuning so that the music is pure. The music swells. Everyone gets in tune. It's lovely to hear. And then it quiets down and the concert begins. Jesus is our first chair violinist. He's the first chair violinist of the kingdom. He plays that first kingdom note and we tune ourselves to him. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are asking for him to play that authoritative kingdom note, for it to sound out, to call everyone to attention, to bring everything into harmony. And as Jesus sounds out that first kingdom note, we prepare for the grand symphony of God by tuning our lives to him. And so follow Jesus. Watch what he does. Watch as he dedicates his entire life to God. Watch as he takes up his cross, giving up his life to bring others into the kingdom. And then do the same. Follow him. Pray for the kingdom to come. 
prepare for the kingdom to come in your own life, even today. We're asking for a leadership change. We're asking for God to come and take over down here. But the change that we get is gracious and it's kind. When we submit to Christ's leadership, we find eternal life. And so pray. Pray your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Sound out that note. Tune the church to your kingdom frequency and let the symphony begin. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we do pray as instructed by your word, your kingdom come. Help us, O Lord, to trust that your kingdom will indeed come. We long for it in its righteousness and fullness and peace and harmony. Lord, we pray for those especially who labor under poverty, who labor under persecution, who long deeply for your kingdom to come, all of us who labor under the burden of sin and who long for the end of death. Lord God, bring your kingdom. Let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Reign among us. Reign among us even now. Shape our lives to be like yours, O Christ. Bring your kingdom home in our hearts, we pray, for your glory and for our good. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.